0: But only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Christ, you are the true and living Word. May the words that we have experienced in song, scripture, and prayer. And these words we now experience in the preaching of your gospel reveal how you, the living word, are working in and through our lives. Amen. As you heard, today is Transfiguration Sunday, the bridge between the life and teachings of Christ. And the entrance into Lent, the 40 days of fasting and penitence as we intentionally consider what it means to follow the path of Christ to the cross. We don't often use the word transfiguration anymore, unless maybe we're talking about Professor McGonagall and her teaching Harry Potter and Hermione and the other students at Hogwarts how to change teapots into ferrets. We might better understand the word transfigures into transformed or even the notion that is represented by a delta, the triangle symbol in chemistry, that shows a change in states or when molecules are combined to form something new. Today we celebrate a transformation in the ministry of Jesus, a change in his presence and his mission and a change in how the disciples perceived those things. We believe that Mark was originally an oral tradition, a story that was passed on from group of Christians to group of Christians. That's part of why it is so short compared to the other gospels. And you hear the word immediately a lot. There are quick scene changes. And the beauty of it, though, is it asks us to engage. Unlike the Gospel of John, which is full of theologizing, Mark gives us just the story. It invites us into the narrative and asks us to wrestle with the wise and learn from our own experience of the story, our own encounter with the words. Rather than build dwellings, Of our own making of theological ideas the gospel of mark invites us to join the experience of the disciples the passage we read today is the mountaintop of the mountaintop transfiguration is the peak and pun intended of the book of mark it is the exact middle of this book and it marks the transition between Jesus's teaching and work among the people his journey down the mountain and towards the cross. Up to this point, at least in the disciples' mind, Jesus' ministry has been gaining momentum. Their hope of a Messiah who brings redemption and victory to this world seems real and possible. But towards the top of the mountain, the reality of the journey ahead starts to take shape. In the passage just before the one read today, Jesus shares the first of three instances of foreshadowing his passion. He reveals that he must suffer and then die. This is the story where Peter rebukes him. No, Lord, it cannot be. And Jesus counters with a rebuke himself. This is Christ's path, and the disciples have to come to grips with it. This is still in Peter's mind, at this moment of transfiguration, when Jesus is lit, shiny, and shimmery with the presence of God, standing with Moses and Elijah, and the voice proclaiming his identity. But even while Jesus was with the disciples, the voice of God was not something they regularly encountered. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, The direct voice of God is only heard twice. Once we heard at the beginning of this epiphany season, at the baptism, and the second today on the Transfiguration mountaintop. This is the voice of God declaring the epiphany to us all, declarations of Jesus' identity that beckon a hope for a triumphant victory and a Messiah King. Peter responds by wanting to make dwellings to stay in this experience of power. But God says to listen to Jesus. Listen to his proclamations of suffering and death that is to come. Listen to him when he says to follow him, to pick up your own cross and go down the mountain. We cannot stay on the mountain. We're called to go down to the silence of the path ahead. Experiencing silence and listening to God is difficult for us, even in our prayers. We often pray for God to hear our prayer, and then we go on to make suggestions about how God might handle our petitions. What courage it might take for us to name our concerns and then ask expectantly for God to tell us what to do us to join in the words of the prophet Samuel speak God your servant is listening and then wait in that silence are we so consumed with our own words about who God is and what what God wills because we're so afraid to hear what God might be saying to us or is it a deeper fear that maybe we won't hear anything Was that part of what Peter was afraid of? Here was Jesus, the loudest word of God in all history, preaching and teaching among them when God had been so silent since the time of Elijah. And now Jesus had told them that he was going to suffer and die. Was Peter afraid of the silence that was coming? There are many in our congregation who are facing the same reality as Peter. The road and path of following Jesus is marked with suffering, pain, and loss. The last few weeks have been full of pastoral concerns for us. Our prayers have been marked with compassionate petitions for those we love who have been in and out of the hospital and who haven't been making the progress we hoped they would. In the moment of silence in Katie's prayers, I know our hearts echoed the names that she spoke and we also lifted up others that were not said aloud. Those who are facing struggles in their body and relationships and all the transitions along this life's journey. Your pastors and deacons and several of you have been making visits and praying with people. They're facing grief, of losing their youth or their health or just the progress they had already made. There have been injuries and diagnoses and prognosis that are not what we would have wanted. Reconciliations have proven to be a long, hard road. Financial or employment concerns are taking up their thoughts and bringing anxieties. People are homesick or missing their loved ones who are stationed or studying abroad. And caregivers are finding that their energy is dwindling. And this past year we've said goodbye to so many. As we approach Ash Wednesday this week the words remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return have a deeper echo because of the services we've recently attended. How do we respond to God to follow this call down the mountain and into this silence? The prophets of old responded to God's call again and again by asking for God to send someone else, as we remember Moses speaking to the burning bush. They dared not to speak for God, and they only did so hesitantly after God commanded it of them. Yet today, many of us are quick to jump in with platitudes of what we think God says. There's a reason for this. God works in mysterious ways. It's all part of God's plan. Recently, I read an article in the New Yorker, Entitled, How to Talk to the Angel of Death. Kate Bowler was 35 when she was diagnosed with incurable stage 4 cancer. She shares about her experiences of what people said and her talking with other people with terminal conditions. You may have heard her interview on NPR's Morning Edition this week or heard about her book that was released this month everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. She writes that sometimes silence is the best response. The truth is that no one knows what to say. It's awkward. Pain is awkward. Tragedy is awkward. People's weird, suffering bodies are awkward. But take the advice of one man who wrote to me with his policy. Show up and shut up. This can be one of the most difficult things to learn about pastoral care, the art of being silent. As an outgoing person with a bubbly personality chaplaincy was a crash course in pastoral presence, aka silent presence. But once it clicked the value was immediately seen. While on call at night in a large hospital in Austin, my pager would go off with every code. Usually, these happened in the ICU, and at night, family wasn't there, and someone in cardiac arrest didn't need the chaplain to come and counsel them. But there was value in the silent assurance of my presence. The staff knew that my appearance meant that I was silently praying, providing a non-anxious moment and a whirlwind of carts rushing by and people calling out vital stats and medication administrations. The silence juxtaposed the chaos around me, and it was the response most needed. Sometimes the image of God shines through us when we embrace silence, when we are just still and quiet. What if instead of with words, we rush into the silence of others' lives with a presence of listening and waiting alongside them? What if we took an apophatic approach? The early mothers and and fathers of of our church talked about apophatic theology or negative theology— It's a process of creating space for our understanding and experience of God by acknowledging only what God is not. Understanding that our words and ideas never do justice to who God fully is, an apophatic approach is to welcome in silence and space. Instead of claiming who God is and how God acts in the world, we proclaim what God is not we partner with the feeling the feelings in a time of unknown we may not know why something is happening but we can sit with each other and affirm that in god we are never alone we may not can explain what god thinks about a particular belief But we can offer the silent love of hospitality to all people, regardless of their perspectives, and proclaim that God's love is not conditional. Martin Buber writes, Words serve only as mute gestures pointing to the irreducible, ineffable dimension where God subsists. But... We worship the living Word. Barbara Brown Taylor sums it up with this question If God is more present in silence than in words, if our best words cannot aspire to more than pointing towards God who is beyond those words, then what are we to make of the incarnate Word? Jesus should have come to us as the incarnate silence, or at least the incarnate mystery. Jesus does come into the backdrop of silence, though. In Matthew, it's the silence between Mary and Joseph after she shares her news. In Mark, it's the silence of the desert, then broken by the prophet declaring the coming of the Lord. In Luke, it's the silence of Zechariah, made mute after he doesn't believe that his wife could bear a child. And in John, it's the silence and the moment before the cosmic creation. Jesus comes into the silence, an opening for God to become, a silence of expectation and waiting. And the voice of God and Jesus is more like a whisper than a loud shout of proclamation or power. For Jesus moved in personal encounters over shared meals, with gentle touches of healing, of commands of, do not tell anybody what you've seen or heard. He told parables that didn't have much explanation. He answered questions by asking questions. He sparked silence and contemplation in those coming to him. His silence gave others a place to respond and speak or act in response. But now Jesus has said that even these whispers were coming to an end. That we too must take up our cross and follow him into the silence. This was a time of silence for Jesus as well. From the transfiguration account Until the resurrection, there is no no account of Jesus hearing the word of God. Even as he cries out in the garden or from the cross, there's no answer. He enters into the solidarity of those of us who have seeked and have not yet found, who have called out but not experienced a reply. Peter was afraid to go down the mountain to follow Jesus, afraid to enter the silent moments of uncertainty. But here we find Jesus experiencing the silence just as Peter would, just as we might, sitting with us and offering the silence even as a response to our cries. Thanks be that we follow a God who is not one just of mountaintop experiences or a God just of the joy of Easter resurrection, but a God who is also a God of the pain of Good Friday and a God who sits with the women outside the tomb mourning. Praise be that God sits with us in our times of silence, that God beckons us to listen. The faith of my youth taught me that Christians are always supposed to be positive. And for too long, Christians have felt that they need to put a smile on with their church clothes to leave the rawness of their hurt and pain to conversations with a dear friend or an anonymous online forum. But if we can't bring our sufferings into the walls of this sanctuary, then how can we be assured that God is with us in them? This is a passage for those of us who wonder if God sees you, for those who wonder if you are really faithful in your doubts, for those who wonder if your sisters or brothers would still greet you if they knew the dark confessions of your heart. It's a passage for those who wonder if their church family would still want to be around them, when the only emotions they can muster is grief or desperation. For those asking that question, the answer is yes. The Psalms are filled with laments. Scripture is full of individuals crying out in grief and pain and suffering. And our God is great enough to handle our emotions and all the messy realities of this life. And the body of Christ is strong enough to help you carry these burdens and enough to sit with you in your pain. And for those sitting here thinking, well, that's not me. That's not where I am right now. Well, those around you have had these experiences, and they are real and valid. And they need you to learn, as Job's friends did, that often the best way to offer hope is to sit silently in the ashes with them. For those who are not suffering now, you are given a great task, a command that just as Peter was, not to stay up on the mountain in your positive experiences, but to enter into the silence of coming down the mountain with your sisters and brothers who need it most. Peter's desire to build dwellings is overshadowed by the cloud of God's presence. This Greek word for overshadowed is used only one other time in the New Testament. It's a story we heard not too long ago when the angel comes to Mary to announce that she will give birth. Mary asks the angel, how can it be that I will give birth to the Son of God? And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. We cannot contain or explain completely God within our human-built structures or our constructs of words. God is revealed in the opening up of ourselves to make space. God overshadows our own struggle for control and comes into the space of us, like the opening of Mary's womb or the space of silence when we stop trying to explain it all away. There are seasons to speak, to tell our stories, and there are seasons to sit in awe of our experiences. There are times to minister to others by sharing And there are times to sit in silence with them, letting our presence speak truer words than anything we could try and build. God is looking for the moments of silence within us, the empty places where God can move in and bring in new life. Where do we welcome silence in our own busyness of body and mind's? How can you practice this sacred silence this week? And just as God comes to us in these gaps and spaces, we too are encouraged to look for the empty places. Places where we might move in and minister with the whispers of Christ. I leave us with this poem by Rumi, Every craftsman. I've said before that every craftsman searches for what's not here to practice their craft. A builder looks for the rotten hole where the roof caved in. A water carrier picks the empty pot. A carpenter stops at the house with no door. Workers rush towards some hint of emptiness which they then start to fill. Their hope, though, is for emptiness. So don't think that you must avoid it. It contains what you need. Amen.